0: Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Mind Yourself podcast. Uh, We just want to give a big shout out to uh, Siobhan Murray from last week. It was a really thought-provoking episode. Um, and so this week, myself and Christy are going to continue our chat um, all around uh, stress and why stress is important. I, I just for example, I just, uh, before the episode, jumped on to uh, mentalhealth.org.uk for some statistics and a study they did in 2018, and I think it's the largest um, stress or study, I think, in the UK. I mean, I'll include it in the show notes. It might not be the largest, but it says the largest known study of stress levels in the UK and Of the people they studied, 74% of people felt they were stressed or overwhelmed or unable to cope. Now, this is a study from 2018, and this is before we had to deal with COVID. So you can just understand how big of a topic this is um, for everyone. So this week, what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit more about stress, but particularly around um, pregnancy, how it impacts pregnancy, and then how it impacts the development of a child in the early years. So, I mean, Christy, do you want to start off and just give us... A quick overview as to why stress is so important for pregnant women, and you know why that's something that we want to focus on in this episode.
1: Yeah, um, so during pregnancy, basically, what's happening is the fetus's body is actually learning from the mother's body. So whatever the mother takes in or intakes or whether it be nutrition or it could be any sort of substance, the uh, fetus's body is also taking it in, which is why, for example, alcohol is so detrimental because it's the equivalent of uh, feeding a newborn alcohol. It just it seems different because they're still obviously uh, inside the mother's womb. But um, of course, it's detrimental and can lead to loads and loads of uh both mental health and physical health issues. Um, A good example then as well I suppose uh, in relation to physical health would be if the mother lives through a famine uh, she's going to develop a thrifty metabolism whereby her body's going to need less food in order to survive and as a result the fetus's body thinks that this is the norm and as a result they then develop this thrifty metabolism from a young age. And this then increases the likelihood that the child is going to come out as, as a low birth weight. And this, of course, increases the risk of cardiovascular disease and lots of other physical health issues. And so while that is the case for more physical things like nutrients, it also applies to stress. So when the mother's body is excreting large amounts of glucocorticoids, which is a representation of stress, then the fetus is body is going to do the exact same thing, so it's going to come out with an irregular dependence on secreting stress hormones. Okay. Um, and interestingly, relating to mental health, um, this also increases these uh, the hormone CRH, which is comes from the hypothalamus, like we talked about in the first one, mm-hmm. and this has been found to mediate the risk of or activate anxiety in children. So, for example, when um when a, ch- when a mother is constantly worrying about something, this can then be passed on to the fetus to have an increased um, vulnerability to anxiety themselves as they um, develop. And stress has also been found to have loads of other impacts. Like, for example, rat studies have found that children uh, who have been exposed to large amounts of stress hormones uh, as a fetus are more likely to uh, be less sexually active. They're more likely to have... Um, cardiovascular issues, and they're also more likely to have less developed uh, genitals as well. So, as you can imagine, it's quite detrimental <laughs> wow. if uh, if a mother. But I, I want to reassure people too, like a controlled exposure to stress is normal during a pregnancy, of course it is, but this is just if uh, mothers are constantly going through acute uh, chronic stress.
0: So this is at the extreme, the extreme, uh, the extreme level, some of those um, impacts. I mean, that's insane. Like both from an actual mental health side and the how the child mentally develops but as you've mentioned there's physical implications if a child has been exposed to acute stress and through their mother um during pregnancy and I mean how common is this like how common are some of these you know issues that children have in early life uh, due to the stress of their mothers
1: it's it, it's hard to measure because like children will come out so different depending on how much exposure to stress they've had um so it's very very difficult to measure Um, but one point I will make is that a lot of these effects can be reversed Then, as soon as the child is born, uh, which of course we're going to talk about, but I think also, um, there's probably some people listening and they're like, I'm not a pregnant mother, so I don't care, but this is relevant to everybody because this just emphasizes the point, like if you're on public transport, for example, let the pregnant woman sit down every single time because, um, as as I mentioned, we're trying to minimise that stress as much as possible for the mother, um, okay. through throughout the pregnancy.
0: So the fact that you know not only the stress itself, but the potential, um, the potential activities that the mother might take part in because she's stressed, be it alcoholism, be it you know dieting habits and things like that. There's a number of different areas other than just the stress, but are caused by stress that can impact that child's development in the womb. So I mean. When we're looking at this, what like, do we start looking initially at the kind of potential implications while the child's still in the pregnancy phase or would you prefer to kind of discuss how that child is developing after they're born? You know, where do you want to take kind of focus on initially?
1: Well, in an ideal world, I suppose um, the mother before they even have the pregnancy or before they're trying to have pregnancy, and I know obviously pregnancy isn't always planned, um, they should have a stress management, like everybody should have a stress management system in place. Um, we're obviously going to talk about that in a later podcast. Um, and then as soon as the child is born, um, as soon as the pregnancy occurs, then the recommendation is essentially the mother should try and relieve as much stress as possible. This particularly where uh, why. Two parents is a lot easier than a single parent because in those situations, the father should be able to better support the mother, Mm -hmm. um, or in same sex, the opposite sex should be able to support, um, the mother, um, or whoever's having the pregnancy. Um, and then after the child is born, it's the same thing in that if the mother is still extremely stressed after the birth, um, or children are exposed to their, the term is an ACE, it's an adverse childhood experience, which could be maybe the death of a loved one or a car crash or something extreme like that. Mm -hmm. Um, This has a direct impact because their body is like rapidly growing. Now within the pregnancy, I forgot to mention that hormones travel through the bloodstream. And if you know about pregnancy, the mother's bloodstream has a direct uh, link to the fetus's bloodstream. But again, as I mentioned, the reassuring thing is it's not as if when the mother is stressed that everything is over, it can be reversed. Um, and there's these really famous studies known as the Romanian orphanage studies, where there were basically lots of orphans um, that experienced lots of adverse childhood experiences in Romania. Okay. And there was huge studies done on these. And they basically found that the earlier you can basically provide that uh, affection and love to a child. Um, the stronger that the effect can be reversed from adverse childhood experiences. So even if a child has experienced extremely difficult things, both during the pregnancy and after birth, um, these effects still can be reversed, but the earlier the better. So that's why early intervention is so, so important.
0: Okay, excellent. Okay, so maybe let's start off. We talked about how, you know, the stress hormone levels in the mother, the activity she um, partakes in, um, if she is stressed... What are some of these conditions that are are as a result of stress during pregnancy? And maybe let's go through some of those just for people to understand.
1: So, do you mean the stress of the mother or the str- or what are the results for the child? The results, child?
0: sorry, the results. You know, okay. it depends. So do you want to start with the stress of the mother or do you want to go to the results? No,
1: we'll no, we'll go with that. Yeah. Um so in relation to consequences of stress during pregnancy or after. Um, The first one that comes to mind, we'll start with with more physical health, um, is growth. Growth is the big one, because as I mentioned in the first uh, podcast we did, um, when the Uh, Glucocorticoids are released or when the stress response is activated it immediately inhibits growth because what the stress response is trying to do is it's trying to deal with the current problem right now and so growth is something that's long term so that's not important now so we're going to save our energy here to deal with the stressor on hand and again that's a normal response but the problem is when we're chronically stressed that stress response is on all of the time so that growth um, hormone is basically inhibited completely Mm -hmm. so what happens then is when the growth hormone isn't growing then that can then lead to the child's uh growth being affected so that's height specifically
0: and is Um, that is that does that height never like you mentioned that some of this stuff can be addressed post birth but something like that i'm assuming like with height implications early in life that's just going to follow with them for the rest of life they're never going to you can't really rectify that can you
1: yeah, so like you know, like growth essentially stops after like I think it's twenty three or twenty four because yeah. what growth is is the bones essentially growing um, and interestingly, I should actually mention so it's it's obviously not only growth hormone growth hormone also activates other hormones, which then also affects growth. Okay. like for example, e- estrogen in girls is very, very important, and there's been theories behind you know how uh, girls generally develop uh, they hit puberty earlier, but they yeah. also grow earlier, and they so stop this is because. Earlier. Yeah, this is because the estrogen has been activated from a younger age through puberty. But interestingly, oh. and this will surprise lots of people, testosterone actually accelerates the growth at the end of the bones. So it actually inhibits growth, uh, testosterone. Um, And this is why um there's been studies done where if children have been castrated from a young age, they actually end up becoming quite lanky, their bodies. Um, sorry. Obviously, so, I'm not rec-
0: So So sorry, what you meant is like, testosterone does, doesn't 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 when you said impact sorry that's where I was confused so it doesn't stop it stops the growth at the end of the bone rather than kind of ex, like is the last bit of growth so it basically testosterone's yeah, job is to sort of exactly. go okay your bones reach the perfect length now stop growing exactly Ah.
1: um now of course i'm not promoting like that children who want to be tall (laughs) should be catheterating themselves that's not the case what i am promoting is because there's still this trend of people trying to inject themselves with testosterone uh to become bigger for example because it's a male hormone um it actually does the opposite for growth Mm. because people forget um, like
0: as you said like people think testosterone they think big muscles Bodybuilders, that kind of thing, and those kind of a lot, you know, that's often where it comes up when it comes to growth. But you know, as you said, bone development and bone growth, you know, clearly, as you just explained, is actually in well, actually, you know, offers the wrong result. It just has it growing extensively, and then therefore it puts the body under pressure. But curiously, so obviously, there's a proportion of estrogen and testosterone. Everyone, male or female, do the does each hormone, um. Do the same job in both So for example Does oestrogen mm. No
1: No Very very different uh, They are both sex hormones But they do very different things um, Which is why males and females Grow, dif- uh, grow differently ah, Okay um, Now if you were to ask me the details About each That's probably A bit above my pay grade
0: Okay yeah Yeah, yeah no I was just wondering Is oestrogen responsible For the growth in both men And testosterone Responsible For the stopping of growth In women, no, I'm sure there's a different, more complex um, process to that. But that is interesting. Yeah,
1: Um, And then, like, it's important to note as well, like, it's not only stress that impacts growth, of course, like things like nutrition also play a role. Um, And then the other thing I need to address as well is because so stress does lead to uh, well, it has the possibility to lead to stress dwarfism. Now, most people who have done any sort of a module on biological psychology have seen this, whereby you see these tiny children and they're like grown, um, and they're attaching stress to it. While stress does play a role. This is extremely rare, and it only happens when stress is really chronic. Um, from a young age, that it can impact to make um a person essentially a dwarf. So um, and then on ah, w- uh,
0: so when people say dwarfism was caused by stress in the parents like that would only be in very few acute cases like it's not yeah. the most common cause of lack of growth okay exactly
1: um and then um i think this is just an interesting story to note i i always uh find this fascinating when i read it is um one particular uh adverse childhood experience that resulted in maybe a positive outcome was there was a there was a child and his brother and their two parents. Um the father wasn't overly involved in the family, but what ended up happening was the brother died in a really terrible accident and the mother became severely depressed whereby she completely neglected the other child and sometimes was having delusions where he where she thought that the her son that was still alive was the older child who was clearly one of the favorites. And so the younger child who was still alive was kind of rewarded for staying young and not growing up because the mother saw him as a younger child. And so that child then created a world where people never grew up. And that child is J.M. Barry, who is actually the creator of Peter Pan, Um, wow. which is, yeah, quite a crazy story. Um, and he also, because of the neglect, they believe they can't prove it. That's
0: the story. I never knew. I never knew that backstory yeah. to, obviously, because everyone always knows the Peter Pan story in the, you know, the, what is it, Neverland, where, you know, you never grow up. But uh, the fact that that came from almost a traumatic childhood experience yeah. as a whole is is quite interesting. I, ne- I And never I think it's worth really noting
1: cool. as well, J.M. Barry was, I think, like five foot two as well, Um, which I imagine has something oh. to do with the neglect that he suffered. Um but again, on a more positive note then, um it is uh again can be reversed. Um so it's not that again, like if my child went through a stressful situation, they're going to be small in height. That's not the case. Um all of this. Would can that be, reversed. be
0: through specific would that be through specific hormone
1: treatment or something? No. Um, so um, I oh. suppose I'll go into then, like, because this was your original question, is um, how can parents essentially make sure that they can guard a child from adverse childhood uh, stress and difficult yeah. situations? And uh, this sounds very airy-fairy, but it's consistently true. Um, what seems to be the best indicator of growth, even more so than food or nutrition, is basically love. Um, it's an attachment with a mother figure or a father figure or like any important adult in that basically like a good example, there was a case study done of um, one child who they basically tracked them and what they found was the attachment to the nurse had more impact on that child's growth than food. So even when they weren't eating, they were still growing, even if they had an attachment with the nurse. Um. And so, like, the secret to this, and the research is consistent, is that, like, this love and attachment is what really, really helps growth or inhibits the stress response. Um, Another interesting mm-hmm. one is the German Orphanage Study. So, they basically, obviously, had lots of orphanages after World War II, and they tracked some of the children. And there was two particular okay. orphanages that they were tracking, and the head of each orphanage was um this, like, mother... And basically, Mm -hmm. um, one mother was absolutely lovely, like the epitome of like this loving, caring, like Mary Poppins-esque woman. And in the other orphanage uh, was clearly somebody who didn't want to be in their job. Um, They were like really authoritarian, like they didn't like the children, they didn't bond with them at all. And the research actually showed that the children who were in the loving, caring home grew far more than the children who were in the other care home. And then what's wow. even uh better, and this is by complete chance a fantastic research study, the mother from the uh, loving orphanage basically moved to the other orphanage over time because your one I think quit and and what you saw okay. then was the children started growing again in the um in the orphanage where um where they had the difficult mother that did that they didn't like. So
0: where it had been neglected previously, and is when you say growth, are you talking about purely physical size growth, or is that also development of the brain and everything else? Like you know, is that is that all grouped into that whole concept of growth? So uh,
1: I think it's just a way. It's an, the epitome of if a child is growing, that means that the growth hormone is being stimulated, and if the growth hormone is being stimulated, that means that the stress response isn't um being stimulated so when i mean by yes growth is i'm talking specifically about physical growth but the more important thing i'm saying here is for a child's development in general what you want is the stress response to not always be on and the way we can overcome that is love and affection essentially
0: love and affection okay okay and so i mean we've talked about so you said obviously you know some of these things we don't want to scare people you know dwarfism isn't purely caused by stress as a, as a child and um you know height has been shown to be tied a little bit to stress but it's not the pure and only thing you know you mentioned bone growth is that tied to certain bone diseases osteoporosis things like that it, has there been studies around that as well uh, um to kind of say that that's been impacted by stress given the fact that you know testosterone levels and things like that, as you were saying, um, impact bone growth. I don't, I don't know how. That yeah, so
1: bothered. this is actually more obviously relevant, like children will rarely suffer from osteoporosis, but this is relevant to adults in that basically um, stress can't affect our growth because our growth hormone is essentially it's, it while still secreted. It's finished like we can't grow anymore um, or that much. But yeah. what stress can still impact is a risk of osteoporosis, and this can be seen in Cushing syndrome. So Cushing syndrome is basically a, a disease where we secrete high levels of glucocorticoids. So we have a high stress response as a result of a tumor. Um, and so what this is particularly an issue, uh, or where this is particularly an issue, is for older women, because um, like you, like we were talking about earlier, the difference between estrogen and testosterone. Estrogen really, really protects bone health. Like it's really, really good for uh, for women and protecting their bones. And so, what happens after menopause is they stop secreting estrogen. And so, this is why women are far more exposed to osteoporosis than uh, men. And as a result, oh. um, as a result, stress basically uh, advances this or it speeds it up. So, particularly older women, they need to better control their stress uh, to prevent osteoporosis.
0: So there's further. So it's almost like it's a process that is happening anyway, given the you know reduction in estrogen. But by still not being able to manage your stress levels correctly, you're accelerating the process.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Okay. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So yeah. So I mean, we talk about we talked a little bit there about you know how. hormonal imbalances due to stress of the mother that then is passed on to the child can impact growth for the child and I think I think the sum of all this is around stress management and for the parents just unconditional love or love and affection to the child to help kind of reduce that amount of stressful experiences for the child and if for adults you know this is not just a child issue as we grow older we might not think we're growing but there's other physical implications of dealing through stress and you know I think that osteoporosis example is a very good one but you mentioned at the start when you were talking about, you know, some of those activities that can be caused by stress that can then impact child development. And you mentioned alcohol and you also mentioned diet. You know, how have do some of those activities that mightn't be stress alone, but are maybe caused by excess levels of stress, how do they impact child development? And is there anything particularly that um, you need to be concerned about?
1: Um, So I already briefly mentioned about diet, that it's this thrifty metabolism, Um. I think a good example is if a child is, or if a mother is not taking in enough nutrients, um, the child or the fetus basically takes in that this is the normal amount of nu- of nutrition I need to, uh, take in. So it creates this thing known as the thrifty metabolism. And when that happens, basically, the child generally comes out with a low birth weight, which is increases then the risk of cardiovascular disease and uh, something known as X syndrome. So basically loads of physical health mm-hmm. problems. Um, But what's interesting as well, I think it's worth noting, is this also increases the likelihood of if that child is in the exact same environment, then their children are going to have this same low birth weight and thrifty metabolism. So it's continued on through... Um, it's like continued on if the environment doesn't change. Um, and this then of course increases the risk then of like stuff like anorexia, like it creates a vulnerability because the body is basically set up to take in less nutrients. Um, in relation to alcohol, I suppose the main one to reference would be of course, uh, fetal alcohol syndrome, um, which is a common one where basically like a like one main factor is there's a smaller head circumference and then there's also a bigger filtrum. So with the gap here between your nose and your mouth, basically. Uh like you'll notice uh fetal alcohol syndrome in children when they have a bigger filtrum and a smaller head circumference. Um, and then you're also at risk okay. of basically the child developing retardation because of underdevelopment of the brain. Um and okay. uh, this actually brings up another important topic is during pregnancy. Um, so obviously you can take in synthetic uh, glucose cortisodes in the form of steroids. And this might be common for some uh, mothers during pregnancy, but it is worth noting as well. Um, okay. While this might help at the time, excessive use of steroids can then lead to uh, children having a smaller head circumference as well. Um, but this is only in the case of excessive use. I,
0: th- I think okay. that answered your question. Okay. Interesting, that did. Yeah, no, it did. Um, I th- I think it's um, I th- I think it's just there's a lot because I think stress is a funny one because stress is normally the cause of not only certain, you know, illnesses or conditions, but it also can trigger other activities that can further lead to it. Uh, I think I think it is an interesting one. So kind of you know, I don't know how you kind of want to sum all of this up. So we've talked a little bit about you know how. You know, the actual hormonal imbalances, the negative activities that can be tied to stress during pregnancy then lead to potential um, growth and physical conditions for children. And it can also be something that, you know, in later life can be impacted, be it someone who is more prone to anorexia, as you said, because their uh, metabolism is set up to... Um, absorb a lack of nutrients, and but then also stress levels in um, older women can have an impact in bone development and then leading to potential osteoporosis. But then we've also looked at how you've know, talked a little bit how stress management and love is really important for managing this stuff. And so stress management is relevant to anyone. And then for parents, it's about love and affection to their children. And lack of that can lead to um, physical um, conditions for children um, as they grow older. Is there anything else from a kind of a treatment perspective that gets recommended from the psychology side? I know we don't really want to go into too much in depth, on like the psychology of the development of a child that's a you know a huge big area that, that 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 is too long for us to discuss here but specifically on the pregnancy and early stage of a child's life you know is there any other kind of recommendations that you know you you'd, you'd want to discuss yeah um
1: i well you were asking like you're after you're after summarizing that very well but it was still like like there was a lot of information there Um, the best thing, the best way I could explain this, I suppose, summarizing in relation to parenting is, uh, the best way you can parent is basically just minimizing stress as much as possible. That's the best thing you can do. Um, but on a note of relation to treatment, I think one more important thing I will note is there was a study done by, uh, Cynthia Kuhn and Saul Schanberg, uh, in Duke university. And they basically found that the most important aspect to ensuring child development and child growth is touch. So when I say love, this can be airy-fairy and not very well explained, but what I particularly mean by love, particularly for newborns, is touch. Um, and then this relates perfectly to a really famous study that I'm sure lots of psychology students will be familiar with, which is Harlow's uh, Monkey Studies. Now, while this was highly, uh, looking back on it, it was highly unethical, what they used to do is they, uh, basically got an infant monkey and the infant monkey had the choice mm-hmm. between two mothers. Um, they had a wire mother. So basically like completely made of wire. Um, it was obviously fake and what the wire mother kept doing was giving out food, uh, to the infant. And then okay. there was also a second mother where basically the, the mother was made of cloth. So it was more comfortable to be near that, um, and they basically observed the monkeys and dis- uh, watched uh, which one did they choose. And over time, they actually found that the monkeys chose the cloth mothers rather than the wire food mothers. Um, which basically and
0: the only difference was the tactile sensation of both.
1: Yeah. Um, and what's even more impressive is that the other one was giving off more food. Um, and so. Uh-huh. The infant still chose basically that touch or that connection or attachment with their uh, imaginary mother over food. So I think that just sums up oh, perfectly wow. that like how to represent this love particularly is obviously always being there for the child. Um, is creating that consistency that of support when a child is in discomfort. Um, and the best way we can do that is through touch. Um, and I think it's also... And is
0: that skin-to-skin contact or... Yeah you
1: know um and i think it's also important to note that um interestingly uh, oxytocin is the hormone the love hormone um even in adults yeah. um and i know this is difficult right now because of covid but um oxytocin is released when you hug somebody else so it doesn't matter if it's mother to child or whatever um we as a nation which we're not very good at is we we should hug more um, because basically oh. it secretes those that oxytocin in our brain, which makes us feel good. Um
0: And do you think that's why? Now, obviously, you know, you know, there's no study to prove that, but throughout COVID and stuff, people have l- talked about wanting to go and hug relatives. And I know that's just a phrase, but maybe people don't even realise the actual health and mental health benefits of a hug and of touch and of physical contact, which I think is always something that you know, gets maybe kind of underestimated in how important it is for our development, both as adults and as kids growing up. And weirdly, because yeah, I don't know why, that maybe this isn't true, but I know I've heard of people, particularly in the early stages. Um, you know, when a kid's born, that I know midwives and stuff like to quickly and I think so quickly encourage skin to skin contact between the mother and the child. And then I've also heard that in some cases. You know, obviously with COVID at the minute, it's been a bit difficult with fathers not being in hospitals, but they've also encouraged skin to skin contact between the father and the child in the early stage as well. So be it like maybe they just don't have the top on and they're holding the baby just against their skin on their shoulder or whatever. Just that skin to skin contact is really important in those early days. And I'm sure that has, you know, a lot of that research comes back to what you've just mentioned there.
1: Yeah. One hundred percent. One more thing, I actually, I think it's important to note as well. Uh, we could do a whole podcast on this, so I'm not going to go into it, but um, yeah. is, um is sleep. Like sleep is essentially everything because sleep is basically the engine behind the development of the brain. And so when a child is born, mm-hmm. like sleep is so, so important as well um like i i would hope we will do a complete series on developmental psychology specifically but we said we just do this in relation to stress this time around stress yeah
0: yeah perfect so i mean i mean i don't have any other questions i think that's a nice kind of summary we talked about you know the physical implications on the child's development we've also tied in how Adult development and adult health impact can be caused by stress. Um, bone development, growth, um, hormone imbalances, metabolism. We've talked about how it see- a lot of the conditions are quite vast and there's a lot of them and there's a lot of information there. But what seems to be the kind of common theme there is how stress management, love and affection are very almost simple but consistent ways to deal with all of that. And I think that's probably the kind of overarching message in all all of this, that it's the love and affection and it's the stress management that everyone should look at. It's very very hippie,
1: but yeah, um, love.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I know. And I think, yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's very hard to contextualize love in a scientific structured way that makes sense and tips and tricks. I think we all, you know, show love and affection different ways. I think hugging, um, is, is an easy one for people to adopt a little bit more and I'm sure there'll be plenty of hugging going on um, once COVID is fully out of the way and people can you know hug relatives I'm sure people won't take that for granted anymore but I mean is there anything else you kind of want to add there Christy before we finish up no nope, I think we're good perfect so as always guys there's been a lot of studies there mentioned um, a lot of kind of points and links that we kind of talked about i know in some cases if you're a psychology student you might know some of them if you're not we'll add them in the show notes so at least you can have a little bit of a read if you want to do extra um study um next week we will have um a session with david Kavner. he's going to be talking um to christy next week and then we'll follow up with another session on stress in two weeks time we really appreciate everyone kind of joining in we hope you like this uh, new style where me and christy are focusing on a particular theme and in this case stress um so please give us your feedback and um, let us know if you if, if you have any advice um on how we can improve the podcast and if you need any help please reach out to us on social media we're always there to help out with um, any mental health questions that you have coming up so as always that's uh, thanks again from me and um, that's it from christy and um, the most important thing is mind yourselves